our offering. We've been preaching about the altar and what the altar means and how the altar, the concept of the altar, the principle of the altar needs to be restored to the body of Christ today. Um, but Jesus is our altar. I shared that last week. I'd like you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse 7, second half of the verse, verse 7, verse 8. And when you've got it, look up and I'll know that we'll, um, we'll get started. All right. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed, offered up. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Let me take a moment and talk about the origin of Jesus, our sacrifice, our offer, our Passover. Here the Apostle Paul says, Christ our Passover has been offered up, so let us keep the feast. Most of you know the story of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt and the plagues were coming. God was trying to release the grip of the stubborn Pharaoh over the, Egypt, uh, over the Hebrew slaves so he would release them. And the, 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 the final terrible plague was the death angel. The death angel would sweep through the land uh, at night, this one night, and then the firstborn of every household would die as a result. But the Lord told Moses to tell the people of Israel, offer up to the Lord a lamb, your best lamb. With the blood of that lamb, put it over the, the posts and the lintel of your door. And during the night, gather inside, broil the lamb and feast, have that lamb and feast on that lamb. As the death angel comes, it will pass over your house and no one will die within your house. And so they did that. That is exactly what happened. And so they called that memorial meal, the night the death angel came, the Passover meal. And that Passover meal is exactly what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. But he took those elements of the blood and, and uh, of, the, of the cup, and he said, this is my body, this is my blood, this Passover has now been transformed into the celebration, the celebration of the triumph of my Father's love over sin. You can know that you will meet me here, and I will be found by you, praise the Lord. So that's what the Passover meant. And Paul says to the church in Corinth and to us, Christ our Passover, not a lamb, not the blood of a lamb, but Jesus was offered up so that the death angel passes over us when we receive him. And we feast on him. We take him into our life. So Christ our Passover is sacrificed. And the word sacrifice means he is offered up on our behalf, represents us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. So this was a celebration. The offering up of Jesus, the Lamb of God, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, is the act of God's love triumphing over our sins. And I want to break that down a little bit for you this morning. First of all, understand this. 
Jesus didn't come to prove that living without sin could be done. He came to prove that living under sin could be undone. So Jesus didn't come as a lesson. He came as an offering. He came as a replacement to succeed and bring victory where under sin we had failed and our lives had failed. You know, there may be some parents here who had a wayward son or a wayward daughter off crazy in the world on rebellion. Every parent who loved a wayward, rebellious child knows the pain that our God has towards us. You know, when you're the parent of a wayward child out there hooked on drugs, just doing crazy things, you want to send them money, you want to bless them, you want to help them, but they're not there, they're somewhere else, and you can't reward their rebellion. It's heartbreaking. You can't give to them the things that you want to give them because of the place that they're in, in rebellion. And that's how the heart of God is towards mankind. And that's why Jesus came. God had so many things that he wants to give us, wants to elevate us, wants to bestow upon us, bring us up to the place that we were created to inhabit, that place of royalty as his children. But in our rebellion, God couldn't give them to us. And so, God's plan was to join us. So, Jesus took the guilt of all that was wrong with you and I upon himself. Every failure, every sorrow, every injustice, every brutality was consolidated into our betrayal of the Lamb of God. We betrayed the Lamb of God. Sin in us betrayed Jesus. It is amazing to watch the story of the Gospels as you read through it and see the, the most giving and loving and perfect example that man's ever had and then to see us turn against him. He was betrayed. And Jesus died on the cross, not from the cross, but because the sins of all mankind were con concentrated and laid upon him. You know, when they put the Roman spear into his side and the Bible says blood mingled with water poured out, that peritoneum sac had burst before Jesus had a chance to die on the cross. And when they lanced his side and that lance went in and touched his heart, cut his heart, blood mingled with water came out. Jesus died of a broken heart, broken over the betrayal of our sins being laid upon him. He was the consummate victim of all of our mischief and all of our wrongdoing. Everything that is wrong about us was laid upon Jesus. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, when I am offered up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. When I am offered, he came into the world to be an offering. He didn't come as a philosopher. He didn't come as a teacher. He didn't come to prove that God's way was the right way. He came to be betrayed. He came to be rejected. He came to be the Lamb of God. 
And so when Jesus is offered up, he said, he will draw all people to himself. Well, let's be honest about it. For, for many people, maybe most people in the world, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross seems abstract. It's hard to get their, their mind around. How could his offering himself free me? Why does Jesus dying on the cross free me? How does it touch my life? But Jesus' offering didn't end with his death on the cross. It wasn't his physical life that he gave up as a sacrifice for sin that concluded or made it the offering. It wasn't fully the offering until he rose the third day, entered heaven, and stood as the Son of Man, the victim of all of our sins and betrayal before the mercy seat of God. Picture that, if you will, in your mind. Jesus has now been betrayed by the human race, who he came with love to save and to deliver. If that were you or I, and we're standing before the throne of God, standing at his mercy seat, we probably would be tempted to say, Lord, the disciples are all right, but the rest of them, look what they did to me. So in that pivotal moment, Jesus, the victim of all of our sins, held our guilt in his hands. Our destiny was resting in that very moment. What would Jesus do? If he had said, they murdered me with their sins, we'd have been doomed. It would have been finished. The father would have welcomed his son and the human race would have gotten what it deserved. We would have been left to ourselves. But already on Calvary's cross, Jesus had already made the statement, Father, forgive them. We were saved. We were saved the moment Jesus said, I don't hold their betrayal against me. All of their sins represented in their act against the Lamb of God, I forgive. There was no Satan, no demons, no prosecutors, no accusers that could stand against you before the throne of God. When Jesus said, I forgive them, hallelujah, we were saved. Now, understand that all that the Father had wanted to give us, remember the Remember the mother or the father with a wayward son. How they just long, they love, they, they remember when that child came into the world and all their hopes were focused on their son, on their daughter, and how they had ruined their life. And how that, that love of that parent is reaching out. I had hopes for you. I had a college fund set up for you. I had, um, I had uh, plans. I had help. Plans to help you through life, to bestow upon you. Well, Father God, Father God, all that he had longed to give to mankind, all that he had purposed in Adam and longed to bestow upon him, to elevate him, all that he wanted to give to us, but he couldn't reward our sin. He couldn't give it to us. 
beginning with the moment Adam and Eve sinned, and the Father put them out of that special place called the garden, lest they should eat of the tree of life and live forever in that cursed state. They were immediately pushed out and separated. God could not give them life. He could not give them eternal life. He could not bless them. He could not elevate them. All that the Father wanted to give, but he couldn't reward our sins. He was now able to bestow it on Jesus, the Son of God. The second Adam, Paul calls him in his epistles, stood before the Father representing you and I. And he was perfect. And he said, Father, I forgive them. All that was intended for us was given to Jesus, laid upon him. Can you say amen? So Jesus was rewarded with the acceptance and the favor that the Father wanted to give to you and I. Jesus became our offering, and all who embrace him receive his reward. That's how the Father transfers to you and I everything that he wants to give us because he gave it all to Jesus. And Jesus said, I forgive them. As many as receive me will be the children of God and I will give all that you've given me, I will give to them. Somebody say praise the Lord. So Jesus becomes our offering and everyone who embraces him receives his reward. Now, there are three things that you must do with Jesus, your offering. He's been given to you. What do you do with him? There are three things. Receive him, embrace him, and share him. Receive him, embrace him, and share him. Number one, receive him. Sin has hollowed out a vacuum in the soul of mankind. Billy Graham wrote, Jesus is the missing part of everyone who enters the world. And being missing from people's lives, a vacuum is created within each person. The universe hates a vacuum, and it will always seek to fill it. But nothing can fill the Christ vacuum in the soul of man. It drives each soul into error and sin, consuming all fillers yet keeping them empty. Billy Graham's quote. Your vacuum isn't just an empty space. It's a sickness, a hole that exists where your fellowship with God should be. Feeding the vacuum doesn't work because it can't be filled. It has to be healed. Your vacuum longs for Jesus, the living bread of heaven. He stands at your door knocking. Why do people hold back? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why do we hold ourselves back from opening the door? We're talking about the first thing to do with Jesus our offering is receive him. Open the door and receive him. Let go of all the thoughts that you've picked up along the way in your life, that you heard someone say, someone who impressed you, someone that uh, you, uh, you admired their wisdom, and they said something to you about, uh, about uh, God not being real or don't bother with that, or perhaps in a church service or some 
Christian you saw somewhere turns you off. All of those things imposed upon your mind become little shackles and they hold you back from opening that door. Those are the reasons why you won't open that door. You believe something errant, something wrong, something twisted. You don't really know that your life is standing at that door knocking, offering to you acceptance with the Father. Put aside all those thoughts. You're going to let other people run your life? You're going to let them rule you? How many of you in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, some people take to their grave a twisted, bent-up way that they conduct their lives, twisted and bent because of a word, a comment, a mother, a father, somebody that they saw sowed, spoke into them. And for the rest of their life, they never challenged that word. They never said, why do I believe this? Why am I holding on to this? Because that's holding on to me. That word, that thought, that idea has kept me from the peace and the presence of God all my life. It's amazing how Satan only has to sow a comment and we don't challenge it. We just accept it. That's how I became an atheist before I was even 16 years old. I had made a decision in my life. There is no God. And I don't know why I felt that way. Bitter, angry decision. There is no God. I'm not going to tell you where I got that thought from, but I got it from somebody that was intimate to my life. And I never questioned it because that person was larger than life to me. I just said, well, if that's what they say, I believe that. I accept that. Let go of those thoughts. Get up. Go to the door, answer it, open it, receive Jesus. He who forgave all of your sins at the cross, he received the Father's blessing to pass on to you, to give to you. And it's an offering for you if you'll open your heart and receive him. Which brings us to the second thing you need to do with Jesus, the offering, is you need to embrace him. Many people have received him in their mind. They assent, they accept, I received Jesus. But they're not so sure about embracing. Look what happened to John. Look what happened to Peter. Look what happened to those guys. They embraced Jesus. I don't want to live like they lived. I don't want to have the end that they had. I don't want to be persecuted. So there's many people who receive him, but they don't want to embrace him. You need to embrace Jesus. Sin has closed you, and only Jesus can open you, like a hand. In Luke chapter 6, there's a wonderful testimony of Jesus healing a man's hand. And it says, it came to pass also on another Sabbath that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And looking around upon them all, he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. It instantly opened up. Now, the withered hand illustrates how sin paralyzes our heart into a closed grip. When we take sin into our life like a hot coal from the flames, it burns our hand at first, but we hold on through the pain. You know how it is when you reach out 
and you take hold of sin. We, we are determined to hold on. But eventually that coal fuses in our hand. The nerves become dead and the hand becomes ruined. And people go through life. The hand of their heart is fused, closed. It's ruined for anything else. And the more we submerge our lives in activities and things, the less we're open to God. And the more emptiness our heart experiences. Only Jesus can open that closed and crippled heart and fill it. But you have to let him in. You have to receive him and let him in. He'll open that heart once he gets in there. But you need to open your heart and let Jesus come in and work it out. Praise the Lord. I love the story about the little girl who comes into her mother and she's got a mangled flower from the garden all tore up and missing petals. And she says to her mom, Mom, I, I went out early this morning and I tried to open up this flower. But look at it. I, I tried to open it. Every time I try to open the flower, I, the, the petals come out. I just ruin it. How come? Why is that? Those flowers are open every morning, but I can't seem to open it up. And her mother's thinking, wow, that's an amazing question, you know, that's astute that she notices that. And the mother's trying to figure out, how do I answer? And all of a sudden, it dawns on her daughter. And the little girl says, oh, I know. It's because God opens them from the inside. You see, you can't pry people's hearts open. Amen. Human love, ambition, desire, none of those things. You know, how many spouses have wept over their loved one, over their spouse, honey, please don't do this to yourself. It doesn't change anything. You can't open that fused heart because God has to open it from the inside. So you must embrace him. You must receive him by faith. Ask him to come in and embrace Jesus. Then the third thing happens. The third thing you do with the offering of Jesus is you share him. You share him. Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 39, or it says of Jesus, on the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes on me, like the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. See that fused, closed-off hearts, not only open, but now life, living waters, are flowing out of that heart. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Remember, after our sins betrayed him. He goes and stands before the mercy seat of the Father. He says, I forgive them. And he becomes the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent. Jesus said, the comforter will come. And your lives will be transformed from being a closed heart, trying to fill your life with something, some significance, some meaning, some peace, if I could just get a little comfort. And you are now a miraculous transformation 
open-hearted, out of your belly, flowing rivers of living water. You're going everywhere telling people about the offering of Jesus, about how he loves them, and watching God open those flowers from the inside. You see, there's a reason why it says that our Lord taught us it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because that is the nature of life. It's the flow of life. A stagnant pond has no life in it. You won't drink from it. But a flowing river brings life wherever it goes. When you receive and embrace the offering, Jesus, everything that was held back from you is now given to you by inheritance. You have the Father's love, His acceptance, the joy, and you know, every one of you who have received him know what I'm talking about. I was just a heel-clicking fool after I got saved, going from that hard-fused heart to all of a sudden, Jesus is real. I mean, I got saved that night alone. I'd never been in a church, never opened a Bible, so I'm alone in my bedroom one night as an atheist. I climb into bed ready to go and have an atheist sleep when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just fell on me. I say that in retrospect, but in that moment, what I experienced was this uncontrollable need to know, is God real? Is God real? Now, I'd already had my mind made up. Where was this coming from? See, the Lord loves us. He's drawing people. He's speaking to them. He's knocking on the door of their heart. And I just simply, I wanted to know, God, are you real? And within seconds, I was talking to Jesus. Lord, if you could give me a new life, I'd give you mine. I woke up the next morning so excited. There really is a God, and I know him, and he lives in me. Where did I get that from? I'd never read a Bible, never opened a Bible, never been in a church, never sat in a Sunday school class, but I knew intuitively because he came into my heart that he's the transformer of lives. And I went to work and told my wife, um, we were still just engaged at the time, I said, honey, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus. She was so relieved because she couldn't talk about God around me. I forbid it. And we were just dancing together. From that time on, we were just so excited, so thrilled. So receive him, embrace him, and then give him. Give him out. The more you give, the more that river flows. Can you say amen? Close your Bibles. This is Easter Sunday. We, um, we wanted to hold communion until this morning. And I believe that we ought to finish our time together at the Lord's table. Can you say amen? Giselle, if you go ahead and pass out those communion elements to everybody. Um, instead of having you come up, we just want you to just take those elements. There's a, the wafer inside there and, um, and the wine. I don't think it's real wine, it's, uh, but you can use your imagination. Um, sure, it's symbolic. Of course it is. But it is a genuine spiritual experience embodied in a physical illustration.